very toxic, very negative as of right now. And it's on both sides. Both sides get the blame for me, whether you're conservative, <laughs> liberal, Republican, Democrat, it really doesn't matter, especially when you get to the far uh, right, far left extremes. You guys, for the most part, are two sides of the same coin. If People doing their own research is almost impossible. <clears throat> you know, were you going to research uh, climate change and understand it? <laughs> or are you going to research the complexities of the economy? And most people will just research for their bias. If they have that core philosophy, then you're able to really speak on, okay, how do we either come to common ground and compromise, or whether or not you can find that there's certain discrepancy on what you're saying versus the ideology itself. Welcome back to the Purple Political Podcast. I'm your host, Riddell Lewis, and we are back at episode number 15. As today, we're going to be talking about the nature of politics, political discord, and the uh, kind of culture going around with the two dividing sides. And it should be a very interesting, in-depth conversation. As always, to kind of start everything off, I'm going to read off a review to kind of get some feedback, whether it's negative, positive. Uh, I like to see what people are thinking. So the, this review says, uh, this is a solid podcast and bro, be having some great points and topics. Keep doing your thing, play. Let's get it. Appreciate you. Good uh, positivity right there. So with that said, we're going to dive into the discussion. I have my guest here, Richard. Is it pronounced Friesen? Friesen, like Friesen. Friesen. <laughs> All right, excellent. So I'm gonna let you introduce yourself, tell you them uh, what you're about, and uh, all that good stuff. So go ahead. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and how you handle the issues that are really challenging, and so I just appreciate you as an interviewer, and I'm really excited about being here today. So my background is from the financial markets. I was a broker for Merrill Lynch. I went to the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, was one of the traders at yelling and screaming. I worked for a large arbitrage firm and eventually I opened my own trading firm on the floor of the Pacific Exchange in San Francisco. But before that, my education is as in psychology and I was a group and family therapist for a while. And after uh, the exchanges started closing the floors. I sold my trading firm and went back to my roots. And, the, and that came a lot about that discovering a lot of the psychology around money and trading is, is in our heads. And a lot of it makes a difference. So with that and dealing with money a lot, I found that a lot of my clients had hidden and subconscious beliefs around money, meaning, and success. So I wrote the book called A Private Conversation with Money. And that is especially challenging because, as you pointed out is earlier, is the cultural divide around economics, politics, and money. And that's what we're going to talk about a bit today. And I'm really looking forward to uh, interacting and seeing what comes up. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, very interesting discussion as well. Um, I've had discussion multiple times in regards to political discourse and how I think it's, for the most part, you know, very toxic, very negative as of right mm -hmm. now. And it's on both sides. Both sides get the blame for me, whether you're conservative, <laughs> liberal, Republican, Democrat, it really doesn't matter, especially when you get to the far uh, right, far left extremes. You guys, for the most part, are two sides of the same coin, if we really think about it. So um, there's a couple questions that we'll dive into and that, that, that can bring up very interesting talking points. First was, uh, what are the psychological drivers of the intense political divan, in your opinion? Well, <laughs> you, you certainly asked the big questions. So what we find out is that as we move into our culture, there's a, a number of things. And um, in fact, I even made a list of them. So what we have is uh, concentration of political power. We have our tribal affiliations. We have the filters that we use to see the world through. Uh, news is shifted from the kind of uh, BBC stating the facts, you know, to uh, 
news that is meant to emotionally charge up the different tribes. And then we have how contagion can spread in, in our culture through social media. So those are the kind of major topics that I think are kind of coalescing to really force a, a lot of significant uh, divisions and beliefs and emotional contagion and just the, the difficulty a lot of people have with relatives and friends and people at work who have a different point of view. It turns out it's not just a different point of view, but people really drop down into their fear centers and their emotional centers, which then exacerbates the problem. All right. So what I want you to do now, can you restate these things in like a bullet point format real quick? And then I want to dive into each of them uh, individually. Sure. Power, tribes, filters, news, and social media. All right. So uh, in your opinion, do you think they all share equal in terms of impact on the, the divide? Or do you le believe that there's a one bigger than the other, kind of like a ranking order? Oh, my gosh. If I had to rank it, I'd look at something that's more underlying, and that's our philosophic cultural divide. Even though most people aren't philosophically inclined, we have two very different cultural systems. One cultural system is outcome-based, it uh, on the left, we, we were looking at social justice and outcomes and inequalities. And the other one is more process based. It's, you know, what do you do? What do you do as an individual? How do you what process did you put in place? And so we look on terms of what we're doing that produces an outcome, but the emphasis is on the process rather than on the outcome. So those are those are probably one of the core divides in our culture that then uh, comes up and that we can see it in how the news shows things, uh, how the social media exacerbates things. So I'd, I'd say that's one of the, the critical factors is are we process oriented or outcome oriented? And those two things are like oil and water. They don't mix. Okay. All right. So it seems like two kind of, important things that I that I notice is one is innately in, in doubt in like human nature in terms of how people are in general and it's really hard to like overturn human nature for the most part especially when it comes down to what you've people. noticed <laughs> yeah 100 percent um but what you can do is either inflame those parts of human nature or mm -hmm. mitigate them and two of the things that you mentioned uh, latter was media and social media are things that are human made that for the most part, as of right now, mostly inflame those negative uh, components. Uh, so when it comes down to media for the lot for, I want to start with that one. Uh, a lot of people say that the, you know, the news is like bias and they, they showcase, you know, certain things that, you know, mm -hmm. create a very toxic, uh, toxic you know culture uh can you dive into your your in outlook of media and what exactly it does to kind of inflame this political discourse or political toxic discourse sure if you have or shown an a video of black people beating up white people you can say oh that's just a few examples but what it does is it, it goes down to the emotional or you have white people treating black people badly. Man, you know, the humanness in us, the, the part that really cares gets really upset. So each side is inflaming it by showing just a few things that, that are just extremes. For example, you look at the conservative news, it will show you the extreme wokeism and the craziest people in the extreme wokeism. <laughs> and then you think, oh my gosh, you know, that's what the other side is like. And the, and the left-leaning news will do the other things. There's conspiracy theorists, people on the, the wackiest, on the most tippy-top 
they'll blow those up and say, oh, here's what the other side is like. So what we do is we have these emotional filters. And the, and I do, I got to admit, I do it too. I see a piece of news or a piece of information that kind of emotionally I support. I'll open it up. I'll see something I don't. I go, yeah, and I won't even look at it. So we all have our biases. We all have our filters. And so the question then is, and, and, and Riddell, you just hit the deepest issue there is, and that's our human nature, that somehow we think we can change a system without changing human nature. And that's really the challenge. And, and for each of us, if we can say, here is the human nature, here are my biases, here's how we humans operate, can I operate at a higher level? But, you know, that's asking a lot. And I think that that's the next evolution in mankind to be able to operate at that higher level. But right now, I'm stuck with it. You know, I'm stuck with my own uh, primitive brain functions that uh, just filter for the information I want, uh, expand my biases. So, uh, you know, I'm aware of it. I'm working on it. But boy, it is still there. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. And when it comes to the uh, to the media, more specifically the news, as you said, there's kind of two things that I really like pay attention to. First thing is a you know event, like a political event that will trigger a you know political discourse. Whether it's a something like a mass shooting, whether it's something like Trump saying something dumb, whether it's something um, you know, like a uh, police shooting a uh, black person. E- each one of these things are a political event and that will always trigger political discourse constantly. So that's one aspect. Or political <laughs> animosity. Exactly. I think you're being kind to say discourse. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Very true. And then the other part of media is the, the personalities behind, you know, certain uh, talking points, right? You got your Fox News and what's his name, Tucker Carlson, for example, right? So mm-hmm. you have those people who have obvious political bias towards everything that they're about to spew out to people, and people will either be attracted to their personality or just kind mm-hmm. of like, all right, I'm listening to them, and now I'm starting to believe them because I see them every single time. So there's two prongs to this in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the the you know, reactionary, I say this event and I react. It's really hard to do anything about that because the media knows that I'm going to put this event out because people are going to watch it. I'm going to make money. That's just capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do anything about that. But in terms of the people who are getting like infatuated by these political personalities Mm -hmm. that are obviously biased and trying to convince people their way of thinking, how do you Mm -hmm. think people should handle or, how do you think people should look at these personalities when they're watching them on their TV screen? And for the most part, I would say, you know, not even kind of referencing like social media as of yet, for the most part, this is something that I would say the like prior and older generation uh, is affected with more so than this newer generation. This newer generation, social media is their kind of crux right now. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to when I built a trading firm. And I looked at the news, not as truth, because especially the immediate headline, the media headlines on any event are almost always wrong. They're almost always biased. But what the information they carry that was important is, how will this affect other people? What will they believe? Once I can, guesses say, okay, then people are going to believe this. And if they believe that, what are they going to do? What, how is that going to affect the financial markets? So one of the ways I made money is by watching the news. How will people, what will people believe? How will this change their minds and how will they behave financially? So now where we can look at the news, we can look at Taco Carlson or Rachel Maddow, and we can say, How will they affect and impact their true believers? How will they react? But what we're doing now is we're removing ourselves from 
the direct emotional impact, but we're saying that this is a story they're putting out and people are going to react emotionally. I, at a higher level, can look at that and see what they're trying to do and see the impact and start to understand how people are going to react. So it, it's an analysis more from our rational brain and appreciating what you just said about the biases that the news is now entertainment uh, aimed at our emotional centers. So once we do that, then we can remove ourselves from those direct emotional responses. All right. All right. That, that definitely makes sense to me. I do think that people should be somewhat rational, but like you said, it'll, it'll be tough because they're purposely doing these things to yep. attack your emotional um, situation. And for the most part, you know, it really affects people in certain kind of areas more so than others where they won't even consider rationality initially when they see what's going on. So um, yeah. it, do you believe that media has to change or the people viewing has to change in these situations? Oh, <laughs> you ask the hard questions, but the right hard questions. So <clears throat> what I see culturally is a breakdown of the normal guardrails. Wall Street Journal just put out a, a poll. In fact, I might even have it right here. Yeah. And it, uh, it was in yesterday's paper. And we have patriotism has dropped from 70% to 38 uh, religion from 62 to 39%, having children from 59 to 30, uh, community involvement for 47 to 27%. But the one thing that's increased is interest uh, in money from 31% to 43%. So if we, if we see this as from a conservative would say breakdown into chaos, but if we just look at it objectively, we can see that civil institutions, religion, for example, uh, provides a guideline, a vision, man is sinful, here's what we're trying to attain. So that has gone down. Um, you know, the Rotary Club is one is a civil institution that has done a lot of good in the world, but fewer and fewer people are joining those types of organizations. So, you know, if we look at um, the changes in marriage, single parenting, if we look at uh, the processes or the, the, the outcome driven and the interest in money. Now, I wrote a book, A Private Conversation with Money, but what I see is an interest in money in and of itself. And I think it might be a replacement for all those other things that people are missing spiritually. So if we're looking at the nature of man and what you pointed out was so important, that's hard to change. So, you know, I'm, I grew up religious. My, my dad was an evangelical preacher. I'm no longer religious in that sense, but it almost feels like, and I've been fighting this. <laughs> I don't want to believe it. We need a religious revival that touches people at their deepest places to aspire to be better. Mm. The very interesting sentiment in regards to kind of uh, having a core value. And I, I do agree because I'm not really religious either uh, for the most part. But I always stay in this kind of middle ground. That's why I kind of consider myself agnostic because I don't want to disprove. I have no interest in disproving your religion nor do I want to say I completely believe in it, right? Because I do think it's a valuable asset for certain people to kind of keep on living and finding meaning in life, right? So for, to, for me specifically, the way I replace it is I find logical values that inherently give purpose to my specific life. Now, I don't think that's something everybody could do because they need that higher kind of overreaching you know, eye on their or shoulder for the most part, uh, over their shoulder for the most part. So it's hard to really kind of uh, conceptualize how to live your life without having that overarching principle. Um, with that said, in terms of like, in terms of media, I will say kind of a, you know, before we kind of dive into the negatives of it, the, the positives 
of social media and the internet is it's starting to hold these media corporations in check and to kind of go inside with your sentiment of people wanting more money nowadays uh, they are able to become content creators social media content creators they can now do their own political research they can now make uh be their own version of tucker carlson without listening to everything he says <laughs> but i'm gonna find my own you know truth and facts and look it up myself so there's a much more incentive for people to do their own research to uh you know look up this information to be more educated as an individual due to financial potential gain from being a potential content creator you know there's a lot of political content creators nowadays or people who try to be political content now content creators nowadays in this newer generation so these corporations who have a you know strong hand in what is going on in the media don't have as much or any influence on these individual entrepreneurs who are trying to find their own path and doing their own research so that's a kind of you know caveat and moving forward because that's why i said in terms of media it mostly affects like people from the older generation moving forward continuously the internet will be getting stronger social media will get stronger and people will look less and less to the media for their news now people look on twitter on facebook or on youtube for their news so with all those positives that i just like iterated i do think there is negatives as well so oh what do you believe those negatives are for for social media in terms of you know the political culture yeah well you know people doing their own research is almost impossible <clears throat> you know were you going to research uh climate change and understand it <laughs> or are you going to research the complexities of the economy and most people will just research for their bias and i i'm guilty of this as as uh everybody so i'm not sure that doing your own research but what you pointed out there are people with multiple points of view so on twitter i get a broad range of people and i can see a comment and then i can go down and see all the people who object to that or have a different point of view so it makes it available and that's the real positive the negative and the challenge is that because on social media we're not like you and i are face to face am i going to say something nasty about you no <laughs> no i'm looking at you i've heard some of your prior podcasts i like you i'm not going to say something mean about you on on twitter you know you say something that i disagree with oh that stupid guy what are you an idiot <laughs> yeah true very true so the social media just has you know all caps or just has the text and it misses that that personal connection where we have and another thing we've lost social graces oh my god when i grew up you know uh i'm 70 going on 76 in a month oh my gosh you know we there was also a, a social decorum that seems to be missing so the the social media the positives are i get to see people from all points of view not just the 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 commercial media that is there to make money by selling ads by telling everybody their base what they want to hear so we're i'm getting a lot more uh diverse opinions but also i'm seeing just a lot of conflict and name calling uh without and we've lost suspect uh respect and civil discourse mm. yeah uh, i definitely agree uh to what you're saying in regards to the inability to have civil discourse to a certain extent um that's just one of those situations uh from what i've learned in terms of human progression societal progression is that we're going to continuously progress and better human life on totality but there are underlying problems that we won't know until it happens and when it comes to the social media and technology that problem is 
now that everybody can meet each other, nobody wants to meet each other. So <laughs> yes. Uh, so my it's really hard to find a proper solution for that. I don't think taking social media away it would be a solution, or even putting any kind of caps on it or laws against it. But I do think education. This is where they step in, especially teaching kids and parents too. Education and parents in terms of teaching kids. Okay, you have social media, but this is how to be a person. So you have to find the good balance of social media etiquette, civil etiquette, and finding the balance on how to kind of do both. Uh, and that will—that's something that needs to be more essential on both the parent side, and it should be. Because a lot now this current generation, we grew up with social media. So now yeah. we know how it works. So we like for me, for my friends, we've talked about it. It's like, yeah, I'm not gonna let my kid on like social media. I'm not gonna let my <laughs> well, well I'll wait until they're a certain age. I don't want them on TikTok all day. Now we know the the negatives to it. So moving forward, we could teach our kids this. And in terms of institutions, I do think they should have if you're teaching kids how to be adults, you should teach kids how to handle social media because that's literally intertwined with our current life nowadays. So that's that's what I believe moving forward how society should go regarding that. Um, in terms of the the point of you know you know research and uh, doing your own research, I do agree very much so that some people when they have a certain opinion they will look for facts that only endorse their right. opinion for a hundred percent. I probably would say most people do that a hundred percent, but at the very least they have, like you said earlier, they have access to that information. So they won't have to listen to it from a person like a Tucker Carlson. So they can at the very least have all the context behind the situation. Um, and Hopefully, people are not quick to kind of see a headline on social media. Now, people will have the incentive to click on that headline, read the news article, and then read the sources attached to that news article to see if they're what they're saying is not, you know. Yeah, most headlines, many headlines, the if you read what's actually below them or the source, there's sometimes even the opposite of the headline. Yeah, exactly. They want to, that's again from our earlier point. They want to trigger you. They want to get an emotional response. They want you to click on it, and then you know that'll help their revenue stream and all that right. stuff. So it's a tough situation, but uh, I do think there's ways around it. As for the people currently on social media, I don't know. There, a lot of them are just gonna. A lot of those toxic people who are just negative on social media. I mean, they just gotta get a life. I don't. I really can't help those people. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> You know, one of the things I ask my uh, clients is if they're steamed up about something is to come to me next week and articulate the opposite side of their belief. Whoa, is that hard? Yes. You know, they'll set up a straw man. They'll set up a really stupid example. You know, if uh, <laughs> a client who just hates libertarians. So I said, um, well, we shouldn't have stop signs. Stop signs are stupid. <laughs> you know, so we set up a straw man. But to really grasp that issue from the, you know, from a quality art, provide a quality argument for the other side. And once you can do that, what it does is it gives you a higher level ability to look at an issue from a number of points of view. But that's really a challenge. Yeah, I agree. I do that on my podcast too. I always ask, can you give an argument or can you give a positive and negative for said position yeah. that they're, uh, you know, vouching for? Because that gives you, that gives me insight on like, you know, either their bias or the, the willingness to really like care about the importance of the thing that they're talking about. No, you just did that triggered. to me. You you know, you said, what are the positives? What are the negatives? And I think you're right. I think that's really an important skill to develop and that you're doing it with on this podcast, I think is just wonderful. I agree very, very much so. Uh, another interesting question I saw here is how can we invite people from all the belief systems to more to more rapport with each other? So this definitely goes into uh. some of the topics we were discussing. 
Yeah. So, I, you know, I told you I grew up religious. I'm no longer, my dad was an evangelical preacher. I'm no longer any kind of structured religion. But there's a phrase that just touches my heart. And it doesn't make sense to me. It's totally irrational. But the phrase is, everyone is a child of God. Whoa. If I start with that premise and start with that, that person has a positive intention. Then when I come from that framework, from that ground of being, on even on a subconscious level, the other person will feel respected. Then we can go to language. I teach language. You know, my current model is, my current way of thinking. Let me tell you about a ex personal experience I had that kind of evolved into this thought. You know, I've had a number of beliefs through my years. And at one point, you know, I was close to you and what you believed. And here's what made the difference for me. So there's language we can use that share our personal experience, but do it in a way, you know, this is my current model. I just had a group on today and a new woman was there and she said, I'm an evangelical. I believe in God. I, these things won't go away. This is my belief. But she was able to do that in a way that nobody else in the group felt threatened. Even there was a guy there who was fairly anti-religion because she expressed it and says, no, this is just it. And I believe that everyone is worthwhile. Everyone is worth listening to. And I respect everybody. And I still have my belief. So what she did was she identified her belief and then also identified respect for other people. So depending on your personality and how you like to communicate, there's lots of ways you can do that. Like, for example, uh, somebody said something to me the other day, politically, and I went, oh, I just <laughs> started to, you know, just, I was going to just blast them. And so instead of that, I said, you know, what you said, I got a strong emotional reaction. My stomach got tight. And all of a sudden, I felt a little, a little threatened. Oh, that's really interesting. Thank you for doing that so I could see how emotionally attached I am to a, a belief. So thank you for that. And just leave it at that. So again, there's lots of ways to communicate. Uh, transparency is one. Allowing the person to see our experiences, what brings us to us. Language says, says uh, this is my current way of thinking. All those things reflect a deeper respect for others. And I think that that is probably the most powerful foundation is that respect and it shows up in all sorts of different ways we communicate uh for the most part i very much agree uh respect is very important transparency as well in terms of you know talking to individuals really just letting know your position and i know like you said i know it could be very difficult when you hear something that may trigger <laughs> you um you know, for m many of people, you know, you know, you're maybe a liberal and then you hear someone say abortion should get illegal and then you get triggered. Right. You, you hear mm -hmm. someone, uh, you know, you're a conservative and you hear someone say ban all guns and then you get triggered. Right. So, you know, it, it's very at the end of the day, there's no progression. There's no resolution in getting triggered. Mm -hmm and having a yelling match uh for the most part when you really get down to the nitty-gritty all these people who have these opinions come from you know some come from innate cultural emotional place from how they're raised mm -hmm. but once you talk about it hear the different viewpoints hear the different facts you can convince like 10 percent of the people but at the very least you could find a borderline amount of respect if you both kind of talk it out you don't have to you don't have to agree to everybody but with with uh you don't have to agree with everyone but you can respect them i don't think that for anybody should be like a difficult thing to do for uh at all for the most part i wish it weren't difficult <laughs> there's if i look at the political triangle and i look at the left the 
tend to be Democrats, the right tend to be Republicans, and the libertarians at the top of the triangle. There's very different political philosophies that what you mentioned is important, you know, your character, your personality, how you were brought up, that are very deeply ingrained. And a lot of them will never come together. They just won't. They're the, the deepest philosophic beliefs. They're just incompatible. But so what, what I see working is a dynamic. So example, I have a picture of it, you know, a triangle, libertarians, left, right. And America then floats around like a ball between the left, the right. And we started out more libertarian that has been uh, uh, degressing more and more toward yeah. power from the left, power from the right. But we have this ball and it's that dynamic tension. It's not right or wrong. But if you look at the left, the civil rights movement, uh, emancipation for the slaves, the uh, concern for the environment. You look at women's suffrage, uh, unions when when people in the factories were treated like cogs in a machine. You look at the progressives in that context, that ball moved over there and appropriately. If we look at internalizing our behaviors, you know, the, the right, their biggest filter on life is chaos and order. How can we create internal order, get people to behave themselves, take responsibility for themselves, civil institutions, not government. You know, if we look at the libertarians, you know, it's, it's personal freedom versus constraint. Each of those in, a, in, a con, in, in the right context adds a lot of value. So this the kind of America kind of, you know, moves back and forth of, between them, but all of them provide value. And if we can look at that from that point of view, that in a context, each provides a different value, then we can say, in this context, does this philosophy provide value or not? Oh, all right. Yeah, uh, very much agree to this. Um, so I want to go to the next one question that I, you have here. How does our cultural impact our report? How does our culture impact our rapport with money? I think this will be very interesting uh, because we spoke about you know money earlier and now being a current huge incentive with this current generation of people. So I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I just uh, you know have a book out, a private conversation with money, and it takes an anti-money, anti-capitalist character, Joe who then has a conversation with a character money. And so it's kind of a Socratic uh, dialogue along with a little bit of romance and uh, struggle. And what we do is we look at money from the current cultural uh, anti-money, one pie model, if you have it, I don't, social justice, fairness outcome. And from that point of view, People with good hearts who care, who want the best for everybody, have internalized a lot of belief systems around money that keep them from the, the growth, the financial future that they want. So what I do is I reframe money. There's an economist. Oh, I just dropped his name. It'll come to me. And he's a black economist. Uh, he's passed now, but I was on listening to the radio about 20 years ago, and he said, money is a certificate of appreciation. I thought, oh, wow. So, Riddell, if you do something for me, I give you, not money, I give you a certificate of appreciation. And you say, oh, thank you for that appreciation. So if we think of money as a certificate of appreciation, then what we can do is look to gather certificates of appreciation and give certificates of appreciation to those who deliver us value. So that is the major reframe in the book, is how do we reframe money rather than looking at it as a thing of redistribution 
What if we internalize? What if, in fact, Riddell, what if everybody tomorrow morning in the world woke up and said, how can I deliver more value to my family, my kids, my parents, my community, my church, my employer, my employees, my clients? How can I deliver more value? What if everyone woke up with that tomorrow? Would money even be an issue? My gosh, there would be so much creativity. There would be so much value to delivered uh, that our lives would be enriched. So I find this interesting. Um, one thing that really sets it on my mind and kind of like the, the other per- kind of perspective of this is what do you say to the people who look at certain characters that utilize money in a very dirty slash negative way. You know, you got the corrupt people, corrupt businessmen on top that people are going to scorn. You got uh, mm-hmm. people using money for very dirty sexual things, whether it's, you know, the strip club, for example. So when people see this, it will automatically give them a kind of a, a negative outlook of money considering how it's being used in these situations so how would you talk to or how would you kind of uh pitch this type of ideology to them when they have this outlook sure money is the root of all evil in the bible uh parents some parents were so tight and said you know you'll never make money the bad guys are out there you know money's tight some people culturally class systems all these messages that we get and then we get the, the issues that really uh, we've created beliefs about that. You know, that there are some people who, who use money badly. There's, there, and, and again, you know, Riddell, coming back to what you said originally, it's about human nature. It's about, the, you know, we're flawed as human beings. So as we're flawed as human beings the way we deal with money is also going to be flawed. However, my guess is of all the monetary transactions in the world, 95% of them are delivering value to us. There's people who are corrupt, people who use money badly, people who, you know, buy the yachts and the, and the trophy spouses and, uh, people who use it to dehumanize other people. They use the power. All power corrupts, be it political power or financial power. So if, yes, we have that. But that does not devalue the value that you and I can deliver to each other and receive certificates of appreciation. If money is forced from one person to another, is force is used, then I call that a bill of indictment. So if I force you to give me money for something, that's not a certificate of appreciation. That's a bill of indictment. So we can use our personal or our human defects to dehumanize or to uh, castigate money. But I think that that human, these human flaws are everywhere. So instead of that, let's look at money as a certificate of appreciation. And when people do bad things, let's look at that as part of our human flaws and bad people, but not uh, poison the well of money uh, as a certificate of appreciation. Because once we do that, then we internalize conflicts around money, success, and uh, meaning for our lives. Mm. I definitely think this is a very interesting, strong message to kind of push out. Um, I do think that some people will take away from the message very strongly. Uh, Unfortunately, I do know for a fact that other people won't buy the message at all and kind of be more interested in those more negative uh, uses of money that we iterated earlier. But... um, Kind of looking at it, how you looked at it, it definitely has a very interesting outlook. Uh, Very similar to me in terms of, like, uh, I don't, you know, have this innate want and craving for money for the most part. I realize the importance of money, and I'm going to obviously going to get money. 
Uh, but for the most part, uh, my core values are centered around other things. So if you frame uh, money in the way that you framed it earlier, it could give that people a certain value that they don't have earlier that I was mentioned prior when they don't have religion, for example, or when they're not, you know, sure what to do with their life. Because even if you have a lot of money, we know for a fact that does not bring you happiness. You hurry out all the time. Money does not <laughs> buy you happiness. And you hear all these celebrities either going broke or all these yep. very rich people either going broke, uh, committing suicide, or just being plainly unhappy. So it doesn't bring any value to your happiness. It can help you find it, but it won't give you that value innately. So I do think that's an interesting sentiment to point out for sure. Well, what, you know, if, if we're replacing our civil institutions and the interest in money is going up, uh, it's what I call a hole in the heart. So if I have a hole in the heart about my identity, my worthiness, my place on the earth, my God, if I can make some money, I can prove I'm somebody. I can show them. I can buy all sorts of things to prove I'm somebody. So if we're trying to use money, and I, and I think this is what you're pointing out that's so important, to fill that hole in the heart, celebrities, uh, just, you know, who blow money. Um, we You know, we see football players, basketball players, uh, baseball players who've made tens of millions of dollars in their career don't have enough money to retire because they don't have that relationship with money and the value they've delivered but they're just, they drop down to old belief systems about their identity and who they are. So if we go really deep, then we can find our worthiness and discover and open the door to delivering value to others. Not only do we get compensated with certificates of appreciation, but the deepest part of us can feel like we've delivered value to our community. All right, all right. All right, so we got the final question here. Um, how do you reframe the major political philosophies? Yeah, they, if I look at the right, you know, their biggest fear is chaos and they want to legislate order. If I look at the left, their biggest fear is um, inequality of outcomes. And so as a result, their solution is social justice. If I look at the libertarians, their biggest fear is personal constraint. And so they want the reduction of both the left and the right interfering in their lives. And each of those has a positive contribution in the right context, like we talked about earlier. So really it's about what is their contribution? What is the context? And is that appropriate? Mm, that's interesting. I do think it will help people when you're speaking to any of the three philosophies that we mentioned that you try to find out what exactly is the purpose of your philosophy for you. Because mm -hmm. there are people that claim the title of liberal, claim the title of conservative, maybe libertarian, that are just having the title because they think this is the right side to be on versus having the title because you innately believe in the philosophies of the political ideology at the end of the day. Because they do all have value in keeping order for the United States. We do need a left and a right, all that stuff. And for the most part, most people are in the middle anyway. It's just we yeah. see the crazy rights and then we see the crazy <clears throat> lefts and you know, that's, you know, does not look good if we move too far on either side. So once you try to find out if they have that core philosophy, then you're able to really speak on, okay, how do we either come to common ground and compromise or whether or not you could find that there's certain discrepancy on what you're saying versus the ideology itself. So I do think that's a strong way to, to kind of tackle these uh, discussions, this discourse uh, on either of the three individuals if you encounter them. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so if you can say, what are your greatest fears? What would happen if the other side took over? 
What would happen to you? What were you afraid of? And you can, if you can have that kind of empathy and see. Now, their, their belief system, for example, if you ask Republicans what the Democrats believe about XYZ, and then you ask the Democrats what the Democrats believe about XYZ, it's totally different. In other words, our perceptions and what you just said is so important. Most of us just want to live good, honest lives somewhere in the middle. We have a proclivity, you know, for social justice or order or freedom. But most of us just want to be uh, live our lives with with people that we enjoy and love and that uh, are decent and caring people. So if we look at most of the people in the world, uh, and we look at it from that, I think we can find some common ground in that. If I say, oh, I'm a conservative, or I'm a liberal, and we identify that, you know, what if we could say, well, my current beliefs tend to be more liberal. My current beliefs tend to be more conservative. Or emotionally, I'm, I'm, I'm a libertarian. So I have uh, a phrase called our emotional beliefs. So if we identify them as emotional beliefs when we're talking, rather than I'm a liberal, oh, my emotional belief is more liberal. All of a sudden that opens things up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think that is a very smart way to approach things um, moving forward. And I do think you can kind of get the core of the issue better that way in these discussions. So we're about to wrap things up. Uh, do you have any final words that you would like to, you know, say to the people? Sure. Um, if they want to uh, learn more, I'm working on a book called uh, Healing the Political Divide, and it'll bring up much of the things that we have here. You can always also, if you're interested in conversations with money, conversations with money or conversations dot money slash purple. I've set up a web page just for your listeners, and they can go there and get a free online course, which deals uh, with money, but also a lot of the issues we were talking about today. So in conclusion, I'd say kindness is one of the most powerful things we can all contribute. All right, excellent. So I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. As always, leave a review so you can get shouted out into the in future podcast episodes. Rated five stars, Spotify and Apple. Of course, check out all the social medias, all that good stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Y'all have a good one. Take care and peace. Bye, Riddell. Really appreciate it.